Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this episode. My guest today is Henry Doss. He is a dye-in-the-wool, dyed-in-the-wool. I got to figure out what that is when I ask you here in just a moment. Well, (laughs) New Yorker. I never heard that before. Dye-in-the-wool, New Yorker, serial entrepreneur, author, coach, screenwriter, avid golfer. I did read a lot about golfing about you. Uh, Biker Mm -hmm. in international travel when he's not in lockdown. He is also a licensed real estate salesperson in the state of Connecticut. But more importantly, he is the author of Financial Intelligence, which I cannot wait to talk about today, which we will have a link so you can get a free copy of his ebook. It's a lot of pages, so prepare yourself. But welcome to the show, Henry. We're happy to have you here. Yeah, I love being here, Jen. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. So let's get started. I want to talk about financial intelligence. Never heard the term until I looked up your information. Uh, That's because I made it up. Yeah, that's good. That's good when you can do that. It's actually called FQ, right? Which I thought I was very clever. Like IQ is intelligence. Right. I love it. IQ is emotional intelligence and FQ. Although some people think FQ sounds a little profane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you say But I said, no, get your head out of the gutter. It's not. It's financial intelligence. That's right. If you say it too fast, it could sound like that. Yeah, and especially coming from a New Yorker, right? And I love everything about IQ and especially EQ. You know, I've done a lot of work with EQ over the last Mm -hmm, years through lizard brain work and other things. One of the things that we know, and I know you're going to talk about this a little bit, but some people don't understand is that the correlation between EQ to financial growth is exponentially better than the correlation between IQ. So you could be the smartest person in the room, but not have any money. I know a few of them. I do too. So EQ is something that I purposely wanted to work on and make sure that I was growing EQ so that I could have financial growth in my life. But what is financial Q? What is FQ? Because we know that it's being smart maybe about finance, but I'm going to let you tell us. It's more more than that. It's funny, you hit on something you know very top of mind is my very first chapter is called The Psychology of Money. So when I first started writing this a couple of years ago, I sat down and I wrote a table of contents and I thought, okay, where do I start? And you got to start with mindset. Because like you said, it's not about intellect. Yeah. Plenty of super brainy people who couldn't manage their money to save their life. There's no correlation there. Understanding, I look at two goalposts. One is scarcity and the other is abundance. Yeah. People have a tendency to oscillate between the two depending on environmental circumstances. So as soon as the pandemic hit, people immediately went into turtle mode. We're circling the wagons. But then now, as you've seen the stock market run up and the real estate market and inflation, I mean, inflation is driven by demand. There's a combination of a constrained supply, but also demand. So what happened? Well, everybody went into turtle mode and said, I'm tired of being a turtle. I'm going to get out and now I'm going to spread my wings. So understanding where you are, understanding how and when you get triggered, because you talked about the lizard brain, and I'm not a brain scientist or neuroscientist <laughs> or a shrink. My coaching contract says about five times. I'm not a shrink. You need a shrink. Yes, mine does Fire too. Shrink. It says, don't call Fire me about that. Yeah. Don't get on the sofa. Something that, that's worrisome. I'm a mandatory reporter and I'm yeah. called 911. So understand the rules of engagement. But let's hope it doesn't get crazy like that, right? You've got to think about what is going to trigger you and how are you going to behave. So financial intelligence, people talk a lot about financial literacy. Mm -hmm. So literacy is the ability to read and write. Well, again, I know lots of people who can read and write, but that's about it. I wouldn't trust them to walk my dog, but they can read and write. 
we want to take those skills and marry them up with a whole bunch of other nuts and bolts skills and create a framework whereby you can make intelligent decisions with how to manage and grow your money. It's just as simple as that. Yeah, I love that you said abundance and scarcity. That's something that actually there's a couple of things that I look at lately, but I think a lot of people live. I'm just going to say that a lot of people, because I'm a lot of people, right? (laughs) I'm people. And for years and years, I thought I was living in abundance from an emotional intelligence, right? From an EQ perspective, because people would say, what can I do to help you? And I'd say, no, no, I'm fine. And I had a shield on that protected me because I didn't want them to think I was weak in business. And that shield was actually living in scarcity, not in abundance. And I wanted to bring that up because you happen to mention it, because we do have to make sure that people that are listening here are saying are not in that scarcity because you have to get yourself into abundance if you're going to start taking on something like financial intelligence, right? And we have to make sure that people really know that they're not in it, that they don't just think that they're in it. And that brings me to something I look at online all the time is there is a graph about, it's called the greed index. And you can see where the greed is coming and where the scarcity mm-hmm. is coming in the stock market specifically. Well, it's not really yeah, stock, CNN there's several places. Yeah. You know, yeah. I write a weekly newsletter and I just put it up. I'm always looking at that when I'm speaking to realtors or loan officers. I have a class that I teach called By the Numbers. It's all about mortgage math for real estate agents. And ironically, mortgage math for loan officers, because some of them don't know everything. And so I'm always going to the greed index, right? (laughs) So I'm going to the index and say, let's just see where the market's playing right now. So abundancy and scarcity, and I don't want to hang everything on that, but I do want to just make sure people are hearing that. So if someone thinks they're living in abundancy before they Mm -hmm. head into uh, financial, I know you don't want to call it literacy, but FQ, when they're Mm -hmm. going into there, what are some things they would be saying to themselves to know whether or not they're in abundance versus scarcity? Ultimately, it comes down to risk and your ability to assess that. So when you talk about abundance, you can sort of take a backward step and say, oh, let's posit a hypothetical. And I do this. I have like surveys and things that I have concocted for people. I ask them hypothetical questions. A good friend of yours wants to borrow $25,000 and they're not quite sure when they can pay you back, but they promise they will, right? Hmm. What's your response going to be? Simple things like that. and. As you drill down, you can start to strip away this veneer of abundance and realize that the underbelly of that is steeped in scarcity. Yeah, 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 because my answer would be no. (laughs) Well, believe me, that's a pretty common answer. And I do what they do on these psychological profiles where you ask a similar type of question three or four different ways and you look for the consistency in the answers, Yeah. right? Sometimes you'll get inconsistent answers depending on how you phrase it. And I will tell you that in my experience, probably even eight to nine out of 10 people are basically living in scarcity. Yeah. I've yet to meet anybody, even guys I know who are unapologetic gamblers, right? They're still living in a bit of scarcity. To some degree, they're just kind of fooling themselves. Well, and I think that looking at it and knowing it, we actually call it above and below the line too, abundancy and scarcity, right? Yeah. You oscillate. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do, depending on the situation. So you have some ways that people can be asking themselves these questions. And certainly that you're listening to this, go look up abundance and scarcity and above and below the line. You can find all kinds of stuff. There's books on it. There's articles on it. You can find out. I have a free quiz on on, the DOS FQ website. I have a 
is that I, and it'll give you back a number. Okay, there you go. Kind of, Doss, kind of Doss where, FQ. where yeah. FQ roughly is. It's okay, sounds good. FQ website. Yeah, and I didn't know that you had the DOS FQ website, so we'll make sure we put that link in. Okay, so let's talk about what then you discuss in these 432 pages. That's a lot of pages of saying, oh my gosh, am I going to be fighting? Maybe I give up or maybe I... It's a tough sell. That's part... Well, you know, part of it is maybe I'll be financially astute when I get through the book. (laughs) That's the challenge all by itself. That's why I do the the one-on-one coaching with people is because I sell a course that goes with the book for $5,000. But it's a lot of work and people have a tough time committing to that. So I started just coaching people for 500 bucks a month. What I do is I'll cherry pick the parts of the book out that speak to them. And I'll rearrange it in a way that works a little better for you than just starting a chapter one and going to chapter two. Right, right. It's a customization. Yeah. The book is a plan, it's a roadmap, but you know, you the customization. So when you're thinking about your book, tell us a little bit about some of the sections or chapters that you feel are the most pertinent for what we're all in today. There are a lot of people that are either making a killing, right? They're making a ton of money or those that are really struggling because they're trying to figure out what their next move is. Sometimes people call it transformation, but I call it transportation because you're moving from here to there, right? There's a gap and you're moving from someplace. So I call it transportation. But what are some of the things that you could pull out of the book for someone who's listening that says, if you're really in scarcity and you're struggling right now, here are some things you want to be thinking about. And those that are making a lot of money and high on the hog, what do they need to be thinking about? Right. Well, I would say that for every one of the former, the high on the hog, there's probably a hundred or a thousand of the, of the latter who are the ones that are struggling. I'm writing a series right now in my other newsletter that I write for FQ. I just happen to be writing about wealth inequality in this country. Now, so let's take on the abundance people first. Yeah. Yeah, you're killing it, right? You're out there making money hand over fist. You're complaining that taxes are too high, blah, 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 blah. Well, one of the things I state in the book is if you're analyzing a company as a stock trader, and I've been a stock trader for 40 years, I'm of the opinion that a strong balance sheet, right? And of course, you got people that don't know what a balance sheet is. Right. They're just making money. That's basically your assets and your liabilities. Right. Right. Subtract the liabilities from the asset. Hopefully, that's a positive seven figure number. Hopefully, and you're a millionaire. That versus a P&L, a profit and loss, which is a yearly thing. Yeah. Profit and loss can be fantastic, but if you're not carving out a bunch of that money and investing it in something else to build up that balance sheet, then you have nothing to de-risk yourself when the tide goes out. So when yeah. COVID comes along and all yep. of a sudden cash flow goes to zero or goes negative and you don't have anything else, you haven't banked or put anything away, uh, you are in some trouble, Yeah. right? Because that's beyond your control. I don't believe there's very much in this life that you can control. But certainly the outside world, the environment, economics, you don't even influence that. It just happens. Yeah. And you have to be resilient through the ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys and all of that. Uh, Yeah. So I think very well stated. I think that a lot of people are really good at making money, but not really good at keeping it. You got it. (laughs) Exactly what happens. So then you have the people on the other side who are struggling. Yeah. So what do I have to offer them? Well, I guess the first thing I have to offer them is a little bit of a cold slap in the face. Mm -hmm. Time to wake up, right? I broke my, since I'm a screenwriter, I've written 11 screenplays. No, none of them have ever made it to the silver screen, but that doesn't stop me. 
the screenwriters work based on a three-act structure. Act one, act two, act three. Rising action, and then the hard part is the second act, and then everything's got to get wrapped up by the third act. So the first act of my book, the first six chapters, is the psychology of money. It's figuring out your personal balance sheet, figuring out your personal P&L. Are you running positive? Or are you living beyond your means? Mm-hmm. Looking at all of your assets, looking forward, like what are your contingent liabilities? I'll put that in quote, meaning. What's coming down the road? You're 30 years old. It's astonishing how much student debt there is. There's a huge section of this population that is getting to be 30 years old and they have a net worth of zero. Yeah. Right? So think about that. You're going to retire at 65. You've got 35 years, just about the same amount of time that you lived to make all the money that you're really going to be able to make. That's a very, very difficult challenge. So we got to get our head out of our you-know-what and look at what it is, what we have, and build a plan. Again, this is all boring, old-school. Well, it is, but it's just you're saying it it in a different way, and it's not their mom and dad or our spouses yelling at us. It's just somebody else's perspective. Right. I mean, it's very nuts and bolts. I don't think there's anything particularly revolutionary about what I'm doing. But I try to package it in a way that will speak to people. Yeah, It's not technical. I've read lots of money books. And some of them are like, there's no way you're going to get through this. It's all academic. And a lot of it's nonsense because it's not a life that someone has lived. I call my book, it's a little bit of a money memoir. I talk about the things that I did right, but I also talked a lot about the things that I did wrong. (laughs) All the things that happened, stupid mistakes that I made, reversals of fortune. And yet here I am and... I'm doing quite well, so I must have done something right. Right. I love that you say reversals of fortune because that does happen in our lives. I don't know of anyone that's always been up, 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 up. Everyone's had a challenge. Even when we look at the people that are billionaires and have multiple companies and fly on jets all over the place, right? And have airplanes, whatever. All of those people, no matter who it is, and I can't think of anybody's name right now. Isn't it terrible? But I can think of Tony Robbins. Steve Jobs got fired from Apple. Then out into the wilderness. Sorry, Steve, we don't need you anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, Steve Jobs. I kept thinking of the guy who owns Virgin Airlines. Richard Branson. Richard Branson. Everybody's had highs and lows and highs and lows. So that's one thing I think that people want to understand is that this wishful thinking or jealousy or, yeah, but they got this and they have this, they might be on their high right now. Don't think for a minute they haven't had struggles, may not be heading. They may believe in their own headlines too. It's like a lot of these people... You roll your eyes. Really? Oh, you made a trillion dollars in Bitcoin. I mean, there are guys out there. I tell people, (laughs) yeah, I say there's a zillion courses out there, mine and a zillion others. But I tell people, look, if what's on their landing page is a guy with a beautiful woman, it's always a guy standing in front of a fancy car, run for the hills. Because they're selling you on lifestyle. Now, I got to be honest, they're probably much better marketers than I are because they're selling the dream. (laughs) Right. I'm not selling the dream. I'm selling reality. And I got to tell you, reality is a really tough thing to sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it just well, it's is. It's funny you say that. And I'm just going to say it here on this podcast because everyone knows that I not sell, but I coach on lifestyle business mastery. And I yep. also speak on living a luxury lifestyle. But I want to preface this, just make sure everybody understands. If you look up the word luxury, it means comfort. It's not mm-hmm. financial comfort necessarily. Living a luxury style is having the luxury of having money in your bank, having the luxury of spending time with your grandkids. That's yeah. what I'm about, right? So I had to preface that for me. 
Right? Yeah. It's about freedom, but it's not about living with, you know, massive material possessions. Right. I will right. tell you, and I live, and my wife is, she calls herself a maximalist. I call her a hoarder. But, it, you know, <laughs> you take tomato, I take tomato. Lots of little stuff that she likes. But they all relate to something in our lives. We travel a lot. We're actually traveling, if we can get out of here with the new Omicron, we're going to Kenya for a safari in oh, January. Yeah. So hopefully we can get out of here. Yeah. And so we've traveled all over and we buy like little tchotchkes from where right. we are. Korean. And there's a zillion of them, but you can point at them and you could say, oh yeah, this is where we went to Barcelona and this is when we went to yeah. Bangkok. And that's cool. I mean, I don't know about anybody else. I can only drive one car at a time. Right. right? I can't. <laughs> Don't so tell my husband that. Don't tell having me. a fleet of cars might yeah. be fine and dandy, but I have yet to figure out a way to drive more than one at a time. One at a time. I know. Yeah. Don't tell a my good husband. One that. that works well and it's he loves cars. fancy and that's luxury. Yeah. And see, it's in the eye of the beholder. And I think that's what's important as you're talking about that. So for those that aren't where they want to be right now, we'll call it that. You said kind of a slap in the face, but I think it's important for them to look at expenses, don't you? Absolutely. Things are like that. And one of the things that I do, and actually I learned this from Sharon Lecter, who co-wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And Sharon has us, and she's a dear friend of mine now. And she said, Jen, every quarter, pull, print your bank statement. We get them all digitally now, so we don't look at them the way we used to, right? Mm-hmm. Print your bank statement and really go through it line by line by line and see what else you could eliminate on a quarterly basis from your world. Because- I, I do it at the end of the year. I'm doing it now, and I'm looking yeah. at subscriptions that I'm not yeah. using. And Especially I'm saying, on our iPhones, right? Take it off of auto renewal. And people roll their eyes at that. They're like, switching to a cheaper cup of coffee is not going to make you rich. And it's like, that's true. It isn't going to make you rich, but you will have more money. Yeah. Oh, you definitely. You know what? It just occurred to me. Let's see. Trim the fat so your wallet can be fat, right? I mean, it's kind of like that. You got to trim the fat in your expenses so that your wallet can be fat. (laughs) Right. But then there's the other side because there's only so far that you can go to whittle down your expenses. No question. You're going to have a core number. And I talk about that in my book. I don't know if it's chapter three or chapter four. There are core, core expenditures that you're going to have. You're going to have rent or mortgage. You're going to have taxes. You're going to have insurance. There's certain stuff that's just table stakes. And trying to go jump through a lot of hoops to lower that, like people say, well, you know what? I'll move to smaller apartment or whatever so I can save a few bucks. Now you get back to the idea of luxury. Like you're not going to get a second chance to live your life. We are not going to get back these two years of COVID. Oh, it's yeah. the most disappointing, besides all the death and all everything that's gone yeah. on. Yeah. But I look at it at 62 years old and I say to myself, I'm not getting these two years back. Right. That's right. it. So so there are to, some luxuries you want to have. So pick and choose. You've got to balance that. But yeah. then you've got to look at the frivolous stuff and the unnecessary stuff. It's a little eye-opening for people when they look at how much they eat out, like how much money goes to discretionary food, myself included. So that's an area where it's like, hey, could we cut that back maybe 10 or 15%? I'm not telling you not to go out with your friends on Friday, but maybe you don't want to order that $25 meal on a Tuesday night because you're just too tired or whatever to go to the fridge and make something or to go to the grocery store. Teeny little mini pivots, I call them. They're not monstrous habitual changes. Just being mindful, a little bit of a pivot around it. And you start adding it up and all of a sudden it's like, dude, that's like real money. 
Yeah. That's a car payment. Of course. Oh, no question. No question. Well, thankfully for me, I don't eat at any fast food. <laughs> so, I don't eat I've saved lots and lots of money that way, you know. Okay. So Henry, where did this all start for you? Why are you compelled to share and help make this impact for other people? The actual launching point for this was a couple of years ago. I was at a conference, actually in Bangkok, there was a conference and I was at a mastermind table with a whole bunch of other coaches. And we were talking about our Jim Collins BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. And I said, I really want to write a course. I didn't even say I want to write a book. I want to build a course that kind of takes people through all of the things that I've learned over the last 40 years. Give, hand them on a silver platter, a roadmap. It might work. It might not work. But I tell you what, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Not everything's going to speak to you, but I'm sure that there are some things that are definitely going to speak to you. And they were all like half my age. And they said, dude, you're not getting any younger. You might want to get on. So, um, <laughs> Did you have an experience in your life, a ceiling that you broke through that made this become the coaching topic that you wanted to explore? I've been coaching entrepreneurs for 10 years because I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I was already coaching people, but I was just coaching one-on-one with entrepreneurs and business, right? How to yeah. level up your business. And I still do that. This was... The original impetus for doing this was to do group coaching, even though I do do it in a one-on-one format now. I eventually wanted to evolve to the Kiyosaki where he does the weekend things with a whole oh, group yeah, of yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is really the ultimate individual coaching, then a group coaching. The problem with the group coaching is, though, I go very deeply into people's financial affairs. That's very exposing to them. A lot of people, it's like a doctor. I have to say, listen, you're not telling me the truth about what your spending habits are. You're hiding stuff. We're not going to be anywhere. Yeah. I promise I'm not going to disclose it to anybody, or nor am I going to judge you. But it's garbage in, garbage out. If you only give me part of the story, then I'm working with a hand, and, and so are you, with a hand tied behind my back. Yeah, no. That's a little tough to do in a group setting. Well, I think it's working, tough to do privately. Working on some stuff. It's tough to do privately, too, if people aren't being honest. Yeah. It is. I do some mastermind groups. I'm starting a new mastermind group now, but we're niching it down a little bit. So it's not so specific to your balance sheet income statement, but it's more about the investments you make, which is really the second act of my book is once you kind of know where you are, then we talk about all the myriad ways that you can invest. Your the money. options. How are you going to get maximum return on your money with minimum disruption to your sleep? Yeah. When you put your head on the pillow, <laughs> yes. these people, especially the younger types with Bitcoin, like I don't touch crypto, not because of any personal animus. It's like that thing trades 168 hours a week. It happened this weekend where they had a 20% correction while people were sleeping. Yeah. That's not for me at this age. You may be able to do that, but there's no way I can handle that. I take a certain amount of solace in the fact that the New York Stock Exchange is open for 32 and a half hours a week. Right. That means the rest of the time, the market's closed and yeah, the money might be moving in the background, but it's not moving right in front of my. I just can't have my stuff fall apart right. overnight while I'm sleeping. I'll wake up in the middle of the night. What then is act three? So once you have determined the options that you're going to take, it's about scalability? Well, actually, no. Act three is about a lot of the other things. I have a chapter I call it Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves after the song, the cheer song. It's just an entire chapter about all the ways that people are trying to steal your money. Ah, okay, good. Everything, so that's everything just be aware. Then yeah. I talk about... I have a whole chapter that I call uh, Debtors in Disco, which is chapter 17, 
which is all the stuff you really don't want to talk about, which is yeah. last will and testament, states and trusts. How do you shelter money? Things like social security, right? All of these things. I mean, if you're 25, you're probably not thinking about social security. You should be. You should, well, you should at least have more than a passing knowledge because I tell you what, you're paying money into it. Yeah, and you're not going to get much from it. And it's going to be such- probably not not going to get much from it, but you are paying into it and you're going to pay into it on every single paycheck you get for the rest of your life. That's your money that they have. Yeah. And yeah. at some point in time, you're entitled to get that back. It's going to be quite a bit of money by the time you get to be uh, 65 or whatever the retirement age is. One, uh, 25 Might now be retire. 75 now these days. People are working longer. So let me ask you, because you know, I'm just so curious. I was thinking about, you recently became a real estate agent. So tell me, how are you playing this into financial quotient? There's a couple of things. I've done a lot of real estate deals and I built spec houses and I've done some good deals and I've done some not so good deals. So I have experience as a buyer and as a seller. But what I don't have experience is, is as a broker. And a broker is a different animal, right? It's really about deal flow. It's about yeah. understanding the market. There is a large measure of psychology in it too, because it is the largest financial transaction that most people will ever undertake yeah. in their life, the vast majority of people. And it's very emotional and it's fraught with a lot of uncertainty. And it's usually the husband and wife, you've got competing agendas. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting. I'm mostly a stock trader, although I've traded lots of other things. The nice thing about stocks is they're highly liquid, but they're a little, they can be tax disadvantaged because their taxation system is based on transactions where you can buy an investment in real estate and you can see essentially tax-free growth out of it. But it's a very illiquid investment. So I'm looking at it from a couple of perspectives. And you're expanding your balance sheet. And I want to be able to write more about it because I write a couple of newsletters and I want to write another book like Financial FQ2. And I like to be able to dive a little bit deeper into it. But I'm also looking for little underserved nooks and crannies. There's an old saying there's riches and niches. Yes. So there's riches course and is. niches. And there are definitely underserved avenues of the real estate business uh-huh. where I think that they can be you know, rather lucrative and rather interesting. So the only way to really see that is from the perspective of an insider. So now I have access to MLS. I have access to all the tools that all the brokers have. I don't have to go on Zillow where the information is staying. <laughs> right, that doesn't right. really mean anything. Right, I right. can go right to the horse's mouth and then I can craft things in a way that works for me. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of opportunity. There wasn't much to it. I had to do a 60-hour course and I had to pass a test. So it did take a bit, of, you know, a few months of investment. Yeah. But I think it's worth it. It'll pay enormous dividends. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. I'm a real estate investor. I was in the mortgage business for 35 years, for God's sakes. I still consider myself to be in it, right? Because I coach loan officers. But and my husband's still a loan officer. And so we're like knee deep into all of that. And it just makes sense for me to extend that into getting my real estate license now because it's not in competition with my real estate agent friends, right? Not because I'm going to sell it. I'm not going to sell any, (laughs) none, but I just want the knowledge behind it. So just kind of interesting. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. And you make a small investment in the knowledge base and I think it'll pay great rewards. Yeah, no doubt. Well, listen, Henry, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. What do you want to leave people with as it relates to FQ? If there's something you could just pluck out of that book, 
and say, this is what you would like the listeners to hear about how to take the next steps, not necessarily go to my website, but something that is more psychological in really the importance of having FQ in your life. In one simple pithy statement, I would say, even a bad plan is better than no plan at all. Mm, all right. Yeah. I mean, I hate the way that that sounds, but it really is true. You have to just look yourself in the mirror and say, it is the way I'm managing things. Remember, you're never going to get a break from this. You're going to be in your 80s and 90 year old and you're still going to be dealing with money yeah. every single okay. day. You're going to eat, you're going to bathe, you're going to breathe yeah. and you're going to deal with money. And you've had very little if not zero training, which is yeah. a whole nother tragedy for a whole nother. Oh yeah. That starts as children, right? There's no question about it. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, I mean, even though you'll be dealing with it all your life, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be saying, I wish I had another $300 in my bank account. You're going to be saying, I wish I had spent more time with someone. I wish I had done something more and money can help you do that. Right. And the, millionaire next door. the last check you write should be to the undertaker and it should bounce. Yeah, right? but you've got to get there. Yeah. So whether it be my book, which I give away for free, you go yeah. to henrydoss.com right there on the first page, even from a mobile device is a link to download yeah. my book for free. Yes, it's 432 pages. It's a big book. Yeah. Ah, skip around, read a couple different chapters here or there. If you want to skip the chapter on social security because you're 25 years old, feel free to do that. Yeah. Just make a you note read about that later. Reading, Read about stock trading. You want to read about gypsies, traps, and thieves, like all the things that you should avoid <laughs> that you've probably done, including myself. Yeah. I think I'd go to Act Three first and learn about <laughs> all of that again because You're so many times I've been bamboozled, right? And so it's like, let me just go there and just learn. Yep, that happened to me. Or, ooh, that's good to know as I'm thinking about the options that I have. Well, well then think- make a commitment to do yeah. something about it, whether it be my Take book action. or my course or anybody else's. Take some action. Absolutely. nothing changes unless something changes, right? Yeah, unless something changes, that's it. Well, Henry, thank you again for taking time with us today. Congratulations. I love this FQ. I'm actually going to see Sharon in a couple of days. I'm heading to Vegas to speak with her on stage. I can't wait to ask her if she knows about FQ. Yeah, so that'll be really good. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thanks for having me, Jen. Of course, of course. So everybody, again, thank you so much for taking time to listen to us. Please make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Go to Jen Duplessis and subscribe to the YouTube channel where you will see all of these podcasts in video form, just as much as you are listening to them. It's always good to kind of put a name with a face and give us five stars and then write the review. You got to say something in the review, whether it's something about what you learned with Henry today or something that you'd like to hear on the podcast or any other comments that you want to make. We sure appreciate them. We love listening to them and reading them. So thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. 
Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.